Welcome to R4R, Conversations That Educate and Elevate. I'm Karen Conley, the Executive Director of Race for Reconciliation, and we are so excited that you have joined us for another episode. And I have with me a dear friend and an amazing woman, Jen Barnes. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't feel like I can actually uh, do justice to you in an introduction. And I just hope that everybody um, that is listening to this or watching this on YouTube, um, that they will get to know just a, even just a hint of Jen Barnes in this episode, because you bring so much wealth, so much wisdom, so much heart into this conversation. Um, you're the founder of White Girl Awakening. You have a ministry in Africa. You serve on boards. You, you really are someone as a social entrepreneur who lives your life making a difference. And I, I'm just so grateful to have you on and to be able to just have a conversation with you. So thanks. I know you are out of pocket, away, supposed to be resting. <laughs> Here you are talking to me. So we are just really, really grateful. Well, these conversations can be energizing and, and fulfilling too. So this is what I love to talk about most. Well, awesome. Well, I want you to maybe start, people connect with people and with stories. And, um, you know, you and I are both two white women sitting here on a conversation about racial reconciliation. And in some ways that maybe feel like, well, I mean, what are you guys doing, you know, here? <laughs> but there's so much importance in us being a part of this conversation. And you have actually um, had a journey that I feel like would be helpful for people to hear. So, so maybe just give, give people a, a window into Jen Barnes, both in, in present and maybe a little bit of your backstory of, of why you are passionate about this topic. Yeah, well, I think it's easier for me to start from the past and move forward and just do a quick synopsis. I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, a little suburb just west of the city. And my granddad was a pastor, um, a Southern Baptist pastor of a church in a community there that he was born into um, and then went away and served in a bunch of other churches in different areas and then came back for his last post to his hometown um, to serve out you know, the rest of his ministry. And some things had changed in that community. Um, what was once a predominantly white area had become a predominantly black area of town. And the remaining members left in that church um, were older white people who were no longer even living in that community. They were moved to different suburbs that had developed and then just driving back in town for church. And he realized, hey, if this church has a future, we really need to let this community surrounding it know that it belongs to them. Mm. And um, so that was happening in the early foundational stages of my development, you know, elementary and middle school. I remember um, being a part of seeing the challenges that came up, um, but also the heart behind um, this man who had grown up, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, all of the things historically that we as a nation kind of navigated through. Um, I watched this man's heart 
grow and change specifically in the area of what it looked like to be a neighbor to those who don't look like you. Um, so that, that was just really part of the foundational years of who I was. Um, but I grew up in a predominantly white area and there wasn't a lot of diversity, but I had this heart for something doesn't seem right about this. Um, so I've always had a desire for, for oneness, for understanding different cultures, um, but specifically for the woundedness that we have in this nation as it pertains to white and black. Um, and it's not that there aren't other um, cultural differences that exist. It just feels like the root issue is the one between white and black. And so um, once my grandfather, I kind of sat under the shade of, of his leadership and just kind of rode the wave of all the work that he did. Um, and I feel like the moment I really grew up was the moment he went home to heaven um, back in 2011. And that's when I felt this weight of what he's done needs to continue. And I, I want to pick the mantle up. I, I volunteer to do so. Um, this work that he's, he started and demonstrated. And so um, I just started seeking out intentionally friends of color so that I could learn what I didn't know and understand why there were so many differences, specifically in the church with um, politics, for instance. Why does the black church tend to vote Democratic and the white church tends to vote Republican, but we share the same Bible in the Christian faith? Um, I just had all these questions that I wanted to have answered, and I felt like the best place to get them answers was to go straight to the church, go straight to the source, seek out people within the black church. And um, so I just said a prayer that God would give me, you know, some black friends driving home from my granddad's funeral. And um, the short of it is the first friend that he gave me was Dr. King's daughter, um, Bernice King. And um, over the last 10 years, I've just learned so much through relationship. Mm. And it's been this organic growth that's been happening. It's been real and authentic mm -hmm. because all of these things that we tend to do in our various communities in terms of, you know, studying from afar and placing labels and um, that gets broken down really quickly and easily when you're going straight to the source of who you believe someone is mm -hmm. and letting them teach you um, firsthand. And, you know, all the labels kind of have to go away because you realize, oh, we're actually really similar in some ways that I didn't realize. Um, and then the differences, um, they're not detrimental. They're actually essential to, to, to each other. And so where you are different, it's, it, it becomes a strength for my weakness or, um, you know, vice versa. And so I've just, for the last 10 years, really dedicated my life to developing these relationships. And now I've, you know, launched this community where I really have become such a believer in the need for humans to be human beings to one another. Mm -hmm. um, and that being the major deficit that we're experiencing today is that we have forgotten how to be human beings wow. in and of ourselves, 
sometimes I have to tell myself, just be human right now. Mm. When you feel like you're swirling out of control, you need to sit here and be a human. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to give you the ability from that perspective to reach out to them that and see them as human. Um, Jen, and there's so, there's so many different questions that are just bubbling up <laughs> right now to ask you. Um, but I think one of the reasons I was so eager to have you as a guest is the two words that you used, real and organic, that, um, that there is nothing that will replace that. And I know your story. You've shared that story um, in, in my presence to me multiple times. But when I sit here and think, okay, that was 2011 and we're at 2020, what God has done in the last nine years because your heart was willing. And, and so, you know, we're all, all of us are human, like you said, and growing um, in so many different facets that I just hope that we're going to share so many other things here, but that, that people would just realize, um, I don't think you have a closer connection to God than other people do, but man, like when you said, I want to, I want a friend of color and God gives you Dr. King's daughter, <laughs> I'm sure people are like, wait, how did she do it? But I, I think, you know, it is our, our willingness to, to want to be a part of a solution that allows us to be able to see things and have opportunities. And you've, you've just been a, a great steward of that. So in this, you, you talked about this community, you have just launched White Girl Awakening. Tell, tell us about that. What's, what is the, the story behind that? And what are your goals for that? White Girl Awakening is basically an invitation for other white people, not just white women. It's called White Girl Awakening because that's kind of my journey and my story. Um, but it's an invitation to, to basically step into what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, the divide that we're seeing cannot be healed from a stage. Mm -hmm. It has to be healed in our everyday lives and reaching out towards one another and coming close. Mm -hmm. and right now we're so divided and we're so separate and it seems to be what that what's been modeled has been to go deeper into your echo chamber when you're feeling unsafe mm -hmm. versus um, stepping out into the open field where nobody's feeling really comfortable and walking towards one another and navigating that together, that newness of we're both feeling unshielded right now because we're stepping out into this open space, you know, that's been between us here. And um, let's navigate this new thing together mm -hmm. with on neutral ground. Mm -hmm. And so that's essentially what White Girl Awakening, the heart behind it is. Mm -hmm. And it's very simple. There are two things that we highlight as an organization, we focus on how we as white people posture ourselves to enter into these relationships with people of color. How is it that we should be posturing? And then we point to the people that we're learning from in the, in um, that community. And so there are some people who have 
just been really instrumental in teaching me and helping me learn their experience mm -hmm. and their historical narrative that I was greatly shielded from just because of separation. And um, those are the people that we're starting with mm -hmm. and we're highlighting. And I just think it's an opportunity to learn and grow and um, try to help heal this divide with love being you know that encapsulating feature that's in in the center of that divide mm. i'd love to ask you, you you mentioned the posture and then the people um so talk a little bit about posture when when you what is the message that you want other white men and women to understand about entering into these relationships and posturing themselves well i think for me what i found to work in my own life and i think that it's something that's just kind of an across the board um, posture is wiping the slate clean when we're approaching these new relationships when we're approaching these new conversations and letting all of our preconceived notions you know setting them aside at the door before we walk through and say, I'm going to just be open to the possibility that I haven't been taught a hundred percent of the things I've been taught with a hundred percent correctness. Mm -hmm. And I arrived at that place within myself before I could really talk about it collectively. But anybody who thinks they're right about a hundred percent of the things a hundred percent of the time probably needs to do some serious introspective work. <laughs> and so I kind of, in my early twenties, you know, when you don't need to know anything because you know, everything already, um, you know, started navigating through way, there may be some actual things I don't, I didn't know. I didn't know mm -hmm. just about life in general. And as just, I matured and grew out of, okay, there are some things I don't know. It's not all black and white. And there is a certain gray that we have to navigate with some humility as we learn. Um, I think that's the first thing we talk about in terms of posturing is that there are some things that we've been taught from people that we really love that aren't right. And they were taught from a perspective of, this is what I believe to be right. So it wasn't like this um, purposed, you know, attack or anything like that. It was just, there was separation between the communities for so long mm -hmm. and it's continued. And so my grandfather, for instance, um, growing up in the thirties and forties in like a state sanctioned segregated society, literally grew up believing that it was unlawful. <laughs> to have certain relationships. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the collective trauma that we're trying to heal from, we've been taught some things well-intended in some ways by people we love that were not true. Mm -hmm. And just navigating through that one thing and being able to say, I'm, I'm always going to love where I came from and who I came from. But I have to walk into this conversation setting all my preconceptions that I've received from them aside and saying, I'm going to let you teach me mm. and I'm going to learn anew. I'm going to start anew. And um, 
any beliefs that I've had about you or people who look like you up until this point, I'm going to let you either prove them wrong or right. Mm, mm. But it's going to happen through relationship. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, Talk a little bit about empathy. How, how important is that? And what does that look like in this journey? Well, I think what I just described is the beginning of that. It's the beginning of, um, I don't have you all figured out. And it's safer for me when I have you in that box that I've created for you to be in, in my head. But in order for it to be true and accurate, this, this belief system I have about you, if truth is what I really care about and accuracy is what I really care about, I have to be willing and open uh, to letting you out of that box that I have you in inside of me. Mm. So a lot of this is introspective work, um, but you know, that empathy, navigating perspectives and relationships about others in that way that's them out of the box you've created for them or that's been created by you developmentally by those that you came from or who have taught you about them um is the is the beginnings of the pathway to empathy Mm. and empathy is i don't really like saying walking in somebody else's shoes because a white person can never walk in a black person's shoes it's just never going to happen um but I wrote a blog about it, the beginnings of empathy. Um, I was watching this Billy Graham documentary right after he passed away. It's on Netflix. And Bernice is actually in it, and she didn't know that she was. <laughs> and um, there was this moment where they were talking about him visiting a battlefield. Um, I think it was during, I don't know where it was. But anyway, he went and visited this uh, medical unit on a military base somewhere overseas. And there was this gentleman who had been burned severely on his back. So he'd been laying on his stomach for several weeks. And he talked about how, you know, he was probably very homesick. He was healing from these traumatic wounds um, away from all the people that he loved. And then he couldn't even see people in the face. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Graham refused to speak to him until he could see him in the face. And so he got underneath the table that he was laying on and kind of crawled underneath so that they were face to face. And this man began to weep and his tears were dropping on Billy Graham's face. Mm-hmm. And all of the pain that was in that man, there was no way for, for Reverend Graham to feel the pain but that man's tears were hitting him Mm. on his face and they were becoming, you know, his tears. And that's what I think empathy really is. I think it's this ability to say, I'm going to find a way to get myself underneath your pain. Mm. And if, if there is no way for me to ever feel it, I will let your tears hit my face. Mm. and I will find a way to walk through those tears with you until you find healing. Mm. And in the process, empathy, when you walk it out that way, there is no choice but to heal and change and morph within yourself. Mm. I'm, I'm so glad I read that blog. I, it 
it was very <laughs> moving and I was going to drag that story out of you if I had to, but I'm so glad that you, that you shared it because that is <laughs> such a beautiful visual picture of, you know, what does it mean for us to, as human beings, just love well and care enough. We're so concerned about ways that we've been wrong that oftentimes we forget to look and say, wait a minute, life is not all about me. And there are people that I need to enter into their space and, and care enough and be patient enough to listen and, and learn from them. And like you said, we don't know everything. And, and for us, if just each person who's listening to this would just say, Hey, Lord, would you give me a friend of color? Um, or even if you, I know in my journey, I've had plenty of black friends, but I've not, I've not always gone and asked the hard questions. I've not given them permission or really at, Hey, share with me what it's like to, to, so that I can learn. I want to learn from you. So, um, that's a, a beautiful picture with, with, um, Billy Graham. We're coming to the end of, of this particular podcast and I've, I've, I'm hoping you're going to stay for a part two because I want to really talk about 2020 and how do we navigate what's just become such a hard, hard year. But one thing as we wrap up, you mentioned kind of that second part of, of White Girl Awakening. Who are the people and the organizations that you trust most? If people are like, you know, I do want to, I want to take steps forward in this direction. Um, I want you to point them to your website and to your um, where they can get a hold of that. But but it, who are the people that you trust? The organizations that you trust as a as a trusted guide on these topics. That's a great question. You can go to our website whitegirlawakening.com. And we actually have a book bundle that's a starter pack for white people who are entering in on this journey. And we've partnered with the King Center in Atlanta. Um, And Bernice is actually the CEO of the King Center. And that is one of the most trusted organizations Mm -hmm. for information gathering and for learning how to navigate um, conversations and posturing. Um, they have amazing programming, Nonviolence 365. They have virtual learning. Um, and so that's one of the organizations that I trust the most. And it comes through friendship. Mm-hmm. And then another wonderful friend um, is Tasha Morrison, who launched Be the Bridge, another great organization. I actually sit on their board mm-hmm. and am a very close friend. Uh, with her, that's another organization that I would say absolutely engage, mm-hmm. um, go to their website, join their online community on Facebook, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. They have great resources for white people mm-hmm. to engage this work of learning. Right. So those are the two. I won't crowd you with too many. Yeah. Well, um, and I do, you know, the thing that I love and, and Jen, we've been on this journey. We connected when um, when um, Dr. King, Bernice King, asked my husband to do some work um, with you guys, and 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 that's how we ended up um, befriending you, and and blessed to have you in our space, and it's it's just great that we can all, you know, we need multiple voices out there um, in multiple communities to really help change the the culture that we live in, and so we want to just be a big fan of white girl awakening and 
Natasha and Be the Bridge is just doing such a phenomenal work and the King Center. And so that, that there would be that voice out there. Um, we're just excited to be able to promote what you guys are doing and encourage people to check it out. Tell them your website one more time and, um, and then we'll wrap this up for the today. So it's whitegirlawakening.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and yeah, vice versa. There's plenty of work to be done in this space for all the organizations that are existing. Absolutely. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And for more information for Race for Reconciliation, you can go to raceforreconciliation.org. And we would love to be able to also point you to other resources available. Go check out White Girl Awakening, Be the Bridge. And more than anything, you do something in your circle to make a difference. Take that step forward and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.